Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us again for Destiny Church Online. I know that we would love to be here, but I'm very thankful that we have this technology to be able to connect digitally and still receive the Word of God and still worship together. A couple things before we get into Acts chapter 6 today that I want to make mention of. The first is that over the last couple of weeks, some of our elders have had birthdays. And so today is actually Dave Fisher's birthday. So we want to say happy birthday to David Fisher. And uh, last week was Archie Alderson's 90th birthday. And so we want to say happy birthday to Archie and to David, our, our, a couple of our elders here that we love dearly. And we're just so happy that God has given them another year of life. Also, I want to make mention that next week, we have a very long passage that we are going to cover from the book of Acts. And so I want to ask you this week to read ahead because we're not going to be able to get into verse by verse as we go through uh, the message next week. And so I'm going to ask you to read through Acts chapter 6 and 7 to get ready for next week's message, which is going to be awesome and you're not going to want to miss it. So I want to go through and give you a little bit of a recap of where we've been in the book of Acts to get us all on the same page, bring us up to speed for where we're going to be at in Acts chapter 6 today. The first is from Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we see that Jesus commissions his apostles and disciples to go into all the world and to make disciples and to proclaim the gospel starting in Jerusalem, going into Judea, Samaria, and then to take the message of Christ to the ends of the earth. And in Acts 1.8, we see that Jesus said that they would receive power, special power from the Holy Spirit to accomplish this job. Then we see in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit falls, that Jesus, of course, keeps his promise. And when the Holy Spirit falls upon the church and the Spirit moves, what the apostles do is they stand up and they begin to work the mission, accomplish the great commission that Jesus had given them. Peter stands up and he begins to, to preach and to proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and Messiah as risen from the dead, preaches repentance of sin and faith towards God through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And the results we see is that the church is, is added to a great number, 3,000 souls on that first day, that the kingdom of God is now beginning to expand. We also see that in addition to this revival that breaks out, there's also this new community that is formed called the local church. And that this community is marked by love for one another, by service for each other, that they are always together in unity. And we see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to one another, to breaking of bread together, to praying to one, uh, for one another, that they're selling their possessions and they're taking care of everyone who has needs within their community. And as we get into Acts chapter 3 through 5, what we've seen over the last few weeks is that as the church moves forward, opposition arises. That opposition has arisen against the apostles and against the church, and that they have been persecuted. 
They've been arrested on multiple occasions. They've been warned. They've been charged. They've been threatened. Their own lives have been threatened for preaching the truth and preaching the gospel. And we've even seen that they were beaten physically, this violent persecution that arises against the church. Yet we see that their response is simply, we must obey God rather than men. And so that's what we've seen so far in the book of Acts, this great commission that's been given, the spirit poured out, the apostles' dedication to the mission, and Satan's opposition trying to stop the work of God from moving forward. Now, Acts chapter 6 is where we are and where this leads us up to. It, say, it says, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good report, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that your word is inspired, that you have breathed it out, that it is the, your very words to us, revelation, it is first and foremost a revelation of who you are. It's also a revelation of how we as your people are to live. Lord, as we dive into this passage about the, the early church and, and these problems that they were beginning to face in this new community, I pray that you would give us revelation on how we can avoid these problems in our church community. Lord, your desire is for your church to be one and to be united. I pray that through our time in your word today that you would produce a greater unity in our church community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning, we've seen that the kingdom of darkness is pushing back on the church. So far, it's been through persecution on the outside. But now, having failed to stop the church through persecution from the outside, Satan is now going to try to destroy the church through division on the inside. And for those of us who are a part of Jesus's church, there are some very important lessons from us that we can learn about unity in a local church. And so from this passage, I have three headings that I've organized the teaching under today. 
and I've made it super simple for us. They all start with the letter R, and I want to give them to you. The first is we see that there is a risk to unity. Then we see that there is a restoration of unity. And finally, we see the results of unity. So the risk to unity, and this is where we will spend the majority of our time this morning. What is causing their community and their unity to be threatened? What is it that is, is bringing a threat against unity in this local church? Well, we see it's an accusation that the apostles are overlooking a group of people within their congregation. Now, as modern readers, we, we don't really feel the weight. We don't really see what the big deal is or the severity of the issue here. So I'm going to take some time to, to explain it and unpack it this morning. But let me assure you that what is being accused here is a very big deal. You see, God's design for his church is that it would be made up of people from every language, from every culture, from every background, from every nationality, from every race. God's desire is that though we come from very diverse backgrounds, that we still have an intense love for one another. And it's the love of Jesus that is birthed in our hearts. And that this love that we have for one another, that it would be a living display of the power of the resurrected Christ in our midst. Jesus said that the world would know us by our love for one another. And, and that is what's being called into question here by this accusation. We see here in Galatians 3.28 that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1 verse 10 it tells us that God's ultimate plan for creation is to unite all things under Christ. All peoples, all races, all cultures, all nationalities. Ephesians 2 verse 14 tells us that Christ has broken down the wall of division and hostility that exists between different peoples this wall of hostility that exists between different nationalities and races and cultures, that Jesus Christ has destroyed that as we are united together in him and in love. And you see, God loves all people. God's love is not reserved for a certain group of people, for a certain nationality, for a certain culture, for a certain nation, for a certain race. God loves all the peoples of the world. John 3.16 tells us that so clearly. And what should happen is that within a local church, that the love of God for all people is expressed among each other. And so as God's plan is for all people of his church to have love and harmony and unity, it's this wonderful picture, a beautiful display of what heaven will be like. The Bible tells us that in heaven, surrounding the throne will be a voice of, of a, a chorus of voices of, of a number that cannot be numbered of people from every tribe, 
every nation and every language and every culture. And so what God's desire for his church to be, the picture is that of what heaven will be like, where there is no division on issues of race or nationality or culture, that we are all united and one in Christ. But all of this is being threatened by the issue we read about in Acts chapter 6. There's a conflict that arises within the church between these two groups, the Hebrews and the Hellenists. Now, you might know nothing about these two groups, so let me explain just a little bit. The Hebrews and the Hellenists are both Jews. They're both descendants of Abraham by blood. The Hebrews hold to the Hebrew language, the Jewish traditions, and the Jewish culture. The Hellenists were people that, over the course of time and history, had been influenced heavily by the Greeks. And so they hold to the Greek language, the Greek culture, and the Greek traditions, which are very different than the Jewish culture and the Jewish traditions. And so what is happening here is that both groups of people have turned to the Lord Jesus. People from the Hebrews and people from the Hellenists, they've both accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and they've both been added to the church. But there is an issue that has arisen where it appears that a certain group of people that is from a different culture and a different language than the apostles are being overlooked in this distribution, this food ministry that is happening in the local church. And so this conflict arises. And the accusation that's being made is, you think less of us because we are from a different culture. You're discriminating against us based on our language and our customs. This is an accusation of bigotry, borderlining on racism. And this is a huge accusation to be made. And this is a major threat to the church and to the work of God, because this is a major threat to the unity. And what Satan is trying to do is he's looking for any crack, any, any place that he can come in and bring division. Jesus says that every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. We know that this is true because, number one, it's the Lord Jesus, and he said it, and so it's perfectly true. But also we know this is true by experience. More churches have been destroyed by division from within than by persecution on the outside. There's no question that more churches have been destroyed, ruined, had, had, had their ministry thrown into chaos by division on the inside than persecution on the outside. And what I want to, to show you and what I want to highlight to you is that there is a practical component to this, but there's also a spiritual component to this. There's a practical issue going on here where, yes, there's a ministry that's taking place. There's food that is being distributed, 
that there are widows that are being taken care of. We've seen that through the book of Acts that the ministry is growing at an exponential rate. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people being added to the church and praise God. The problem is there's only 12 apostles and the ministry has outgrown their capacity. It's not that they're evil people and that they're overlooking. It's just simply that there's not enough hours in the day. And so there is a practical issue here with, yes, the the ministry needs to be improved. But there's also a spiritual issue here where now their, their discontent with the practical is causing them to be deceived in the spiritual Because Satan is coming and he is lying to them and saying, listen, the apostles don't love you. If they loved you, they would be taking better care of you. If they loved you, they they would be making sure that you were being taken care of. You're not really part of this church. You're not really part of this community. You, You don't fit in here. Even though they say they care about you, even though they say these wonderful things, you don't fit in here because you're different. That's the spiritual component of this. And we as a church we must be very careful that we do not allow discontent in the practical to allow us to be deceived and divided in the spiritual. That is the work of Satan, and that is deadly to a church. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes, and he's talking about division that can come in through unforgiveness, He says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The reason I highlight all this for you is this is the way Satan works. And Satan is always looking to bring division within a church community. He's looking to break the unity and the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ because it will stop the ministry from going forward. It will stop the Great Commission in its tracks if division and infighting and uh, disunity breaks out within a church. And we cannot be ignorant of his devices. We, We must know what they are. Otherwise, he's going to have an advantage over us and in our lives. And so how do they restore the unity? That leads us to our second point of unity restored. Well, we see the first thing that they do is that they call a family meeting. All of the disciples, all of the believers, everybody come to the church. We're going to have a family meeting. We're going to figure this out. They get everybody together. And at this family meeting, so so they're not ignoring the problem. There there is an issue. And and so at this family meeting, they, they do three things. Number one is they lay out the priorities for the ministry. They say, listen, guys, the most important thing here is the mission that we've been given, the Great Commission. And for the Great Commission to continue, what must happen is the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. We cannot be distracted by these other ministries. Though they are good, we must continue to preach and to teach and to devote ourselves to these things as the leaders of the church. Now, then they, the second thing they do is they, after laying out the priorities, they affirm that this feeding ministry is very important. They say, we believe in this. We think it should continue, 
But if it's going to continue, we must have some other people step up. Some other people within the church have to step up so that this, that this ministry can continue. And then the third thing that they do is they remain laser focused on what God had called them to do. You see, what Satan would have loved to have happened in this church would be for, number one, the church to split. Satan would have loved for the church to split into a Hebrew church and a Hellenist church. If that, if, they couldn't, if that didn't happen, what Satan would have loved to have happened was that the apostles forsake preaching and teaching and ministering the word of God and building up the saints for the ministry so that now the apostles are just running around doing all of that practical ministry. But the apostles with the power of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of God, they are able to, to miss both of those traps laid out by the devil. We see that the congregation responds and responds favorably. They say, this is fantastic. Yes, this is what we want. And so they appoint seven leaders from the Greek community. All of these leaders have Greek names. So it's from within the, their own community that they step up and they say, we will serve our people. And then the apostles again go and devote themselves to the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. It's not that the apostles say that this is not important, but what they say is that we cannot do everything. And so we must devote ourselves to the most critical part of the Great Commission going forward, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The result of unity, the third point that we see today in verse 7, is amazing that the word of God continues to increase, that means Satan failed. Can I get an amen? Just smash that heart button for me right now. Just give me some amens with the heart. <laughs> the word of God continues to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So it did not work. The plan of Satan failed. Opposition from the outside failed. Division from the inside failed. And Luke writes for us, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is revival that is happening. And this is the result of unity. In Psalm 133, it tells us that God ple takes pleasure when we dwell together in unity. One of the things that, that makes God so happy is when his people are united in love, in mission, in purpose, in thought. When we are together, when we have a singleness of heart, this makes God happy. This makes God smile. This brings God joy. What we also see in Psalm 133 is that unity is where God commands his blessing. Unity is where God commands his blessing. So brothers and sisters, we must work for unity. We must strive to be united in our love for one another. Ephesians 4.3 says that we must work 
for unity. It, it's something that takes effort. It's something that takes humility. It's something that takes patience. That in, in the course of, of the family of God, in the course of the life of a church, there's going to be times where we become discontent with some practical area of the ministry. That's bound to happen. We're all human. None of us is perfect. Mistakes will be made. But because of our love for one another and our maturity in Christ, we're willing to give each other the benefit of the doubt. You know, one of the marks of maturity is that you don't always have to have your way. A mark of immaturity is when you always have to have your way. That's, a, that's the attitude of a, a child. I want it my way. We're working with our children and we're training them and trying to lead them into maturity where we teach them that when you don't have your way, it doesn't mean you throw a fit. One of the marks of maturity is that we don't always have to have our way about everything. And we cannot allow discontent in the practical to turn into division and deception and to receive the lies of the enemy in the spiritual. Yes, we must strive for excellence in the practical. Absolutely. We want to make things as good as we can make them. But when mistakes happen, when things fall through the cracks, when leaders don't do things exactly the way that you think that they should, we should strive for unity. We must not listen to the lies of the enemy who would try to sow discontent within our hearts. Let us work together for unity. You know, this is something that Satan is always trying to do. He's always trying to bring division and disunity to break up the community of the body of Christ. This was not just a first century problem. As we look at church history, what we see is that this has been a problem throughout the ages within the church. And every time that there is change, people become discontent with the practical. It is just natural. And we right now, we're in a season of change. We're in a season, season as a local church, not a change that we have brought upon us, but a change that has come from outside forces upon us. We, we would never have chosen to forsake coming together and to only gather online. That would have never been a choice that we made. But nevertheless, it was the, what we had to do and what we continue to do. And in this season, we as leaders, we've had to make decisions. We've had to make choices. We've had to organize ourselves in a certain way. It's what we felt best for the church. And I know that this is not the ideal situation. And certainly there is a, a level in all of us of discontent, especially in me. I, I want to, to gather. I want to gather sooner rather than later. But we must guard our hearts and make sure that our discontent in the practical does not turn into division in the spiritual. We must not listen to the, the lies of the enemy. Listen, the devil is a liar. He, will, he is lying to our people right now, and I know that he is. 
And what he's trying to do is he's trying to bring division. He's trying to call into question the authenticity of, of our community. And we must not let him do that. We must be aware of his methods. And we must rise up in faith, rise up in love, working for unity, giving each other the benefit of the doubt, not just in our church, but in our families, as we are compressed together, spending more time with one another, potentially getting on each other's nerves. Let Satan, let, let us make sure that we do not allow Satan to come in in these critical moments. Let us be aware of his devices. Let him not sow disunity and division in your family or in our church community. Let us strive, let us work hard at guarding our hearts, trusting in the Lord, working for unity, and the result, I believe, is going to be a multiplication of the word of God going out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our church. Lord, though we are not assembled physically in this place. You have assembled us online today. and We are together. And where we are, two or more gathered, your presence is here. So Lord, unite our hearts. Remind us all what is the most important priority, the gospel, the great commission. Lord, help us to stay united in thought and in purpose. And Lord, we are looking forward to the day when we can regather and what a glorious time and a celebration that will be. Keep us all safe. Thank you for providing for us. I thank you that you are keeping us healthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.